When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Violin Podcast. I am your host, Eric Mogala, where I interview violinists from around the world. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're new to us, I really encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. We have really, really amazing guests that talk about the violin, about their violin careers. So I encourage you to be a subscriber and a follower of the Violin Podcast. Man, it's really hard to believe that we're already approaching the end of 2021. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for all these performances to be, you know, back in full swing. You know, I know for a fact that I've been doing my recording sessions with um, with various people in the Boston area. So, and um, I'm going to do a little poll on the podcast. If you're a Spotify listener, I want to get to know you a little more. Are you back in full swing? Are you doing um, any exciting stuff? And if you are, please let us know and uh, send us an email at violinpodcast at gmail.com to let us know what kind of exciting violin stuff you are up to. No announcements from me today. We're going to go straight into today's episode. And my guest today is jazz violinist based in West Hollywood, California. We have a great conversation about jazz violin. And we have a really pressing discussion whether music is a universal language. And I present to you Nora Germain. Nora, thanks so much for joining me on the Violin Podcast. I love meeting new people. I love meeting new violinists. And um, and you're actually a jazz violinist, right? And you're based out in LA. How's it going out there so far? It's been great. I've been here for about 10 years. And um, obviously, this past year and a half has been challenging. <laughs> but I have a lot of hope uh, of, you know, things getting better. And people are still finding ways to be creative and do projects and just have fun while they can. So I, I'm feeling encouraged about the future. <laughs> For sure. Actually, as a matter of fact, um, before I did a little recon on you and as uh-huh. I did with all of my guests on the violin podcast and yes. you know, your face was very familiar because I see all your jazz videos that are being posted in the violin guild, which is a, which, which is oh. a violin guild Facebook group. Um, led by Dr. Abraham, who was the second guest on the Violin Podcast. He's the one that oh, runs so the cool. entire group. And I always see your videos like with the, with the guitarists. And um, yeah. I, I love how you stay engaged with the community. Who is that guitarist that you play with on, the, on those videos? Um, well, I work with a lot of different people. Uh, I have several different guitarists I work with. But recently, I worked with someone called Miles Jensen, who also lives in Los Angeles. And He's very good at everything. (laughs) And yeah, I just love making those videos because my two best friends are both classical violinists. My parents were classical violinists. And, you know, I I don't have as many violin friends as others do because, you know, I play jazz. And so I have to say, you know, I'm not around violinists every day aside from my friends. But I do talk to them sometimes and they, you know, seem a little scared to improvise and 
I didn't, you know, start in jazz. I started playing classical myself. So I just like to give people a little piece of inspiration, just remind them randomly throughout, you know, their day or week or whatever that like, you know, you could learn how to do this or maybe you're a natural and you don't even know. So just don't be afraid to experiment. I'm one of those people, Nora, where I can't <laughs> improvise okay. at all. I can't improvise. Like I try it and there, there are so many people who do way better than I do. I, I'll just stick with my Haydn and my Mozart. <laughs> but that well, that's is... wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I can't do that very well, honestly. So I, I think that is amazing. But even though like Mozart was like a master improviser, right? And, you know, sure. you know, and what what are some of the things that you think about while you improvise? Because it's a very different approach. It's a very different world yeah. compared to classical music. So I'm curious to know uh, how you do that. Well, there are a few things that I think are really keys. Uh, they're, you know, very important. Everybody understands improvisation in a different way. So that's the first thing. Some people really know what chords they're playing over and some people have no clue. Some people read music, some people don't. So everybody is totally different. But some things that I think are common between, you know, among all improvisers, no matter what genre of music it is, is I think first you have to know the melody of the song and then be aware of the melody during your solo because the melody is basically like a little friend that's guiding you along through the form what we call the form which is you know when the rhythm section or the band is playing the chords of the song and then it's your turn to do something with it that's your solo that's your time to improvise the melody is like your friend guiding you through that so I think having awareness of the melody when you solo uh not just you know completely disregarding that starting from scratch I think that's important also people really knowing how to listen and understanding just like in a symphony if you're a symphony musician you understand the roles of the different parts that are in the piece that you're playing like you know what the cellos are doing you know what the trumpets are doing same thing in a jazz band you just want to be aware of like okay what's what is the baseline what are the drums trying to achieve here like how do we all work together and just to not be a hundred percent concerned with yourself, trying to make everyone around you sound good and not just yourself. I think those two things are really, really important. How did jazz come into your life? Because I, from what, from listening to the jazz violin podcast with mm -hmm. uh, Matt Holborn, who was also a guest on the violin podcast, I was, I was yeah, he's great. To listen, I was fortunate enough to listen to that episode, and uh -huh. yeah, how did jazz come into your life? And from what I remember listening on that episode you're a suzuki student right you That's were a right. suzuki student so how did you transition from suzuki into jazz yeah well um okay look there's like several parts of this story it didn't like happen all at once but i would say the first part of it was my parents played violin in the madison symphony so i grew up you know around music so that was like part one is like you have to be around music and you know, my parents listen and other people around me, they have very eclectic tastes in music. I didn't really know much about jazz, but I, I grew up hearing, you know, Ella Fitzgerald on my grandmother's radio and things like that. And then um, I got into Celtic music, Irish fiddling, things like that. And I realized I sort of had a natural ability to sort of play around with melodies. And I got in trouble a lot in school, in violin school, because I would, you know, play jokes and like see if I could play the whole melody with one finger and things like that. I got in trouble for things like that. Um, <clears throat> so it was clear to me that I had a sort of a natural curiosity and, you know, just changing things a little bit around and making them my own. And then 
Um, when I was 15, I went to a boarding school called Idlewild Arts Academy, which is uh, in California. And um, I was there and I met some young people who were in my, my age. And they, they said they were studying jazz at this school. And I was going to study violin or maybe dance. I, I hadn't quite figured out exactly what I was going to do with my life yet. I had sort of some different you know, passions. And I met these people who were in the jazz program. And I thought that sounds so cool. So I met with the head of that program, who's a guy called Marshall Hawkins, who ended up being sort of a father figure to me. And he played bass with Miles Davis and Donny Hathaway and all sorts of amazing people. And uh, he was sort of a Yoda-like figure to all of us. And he really took me under his uh, wing. And then also, I would say that the final sort of push towards this journey was hearing uh, the Stefan Grappelli recording called Improvisations. And within about 15 seconds of that, I just felt like my life had a purpose, <laughs> I guess you could say. So it was all that stuff put together. I feel the same way every time I listen to Stefan Grappelli, just like all of a sudden, like, you know, all the all the stress yeah. in the world, all sure. like the, the uh, you know, the unsure things that are happening that are that are happening in our world when you when i listen to stefan grappelli's sound is like oh i can relax now i can like sit in the back of my chair when i when i yeah when i listen to his tunes do you feel that way also yeah uh definitely i mean he was one of my first inspirations i think he's the greatest jazz violinist of all time i got to work with several of the guitarists and bass players that he worked with that are still around so I got to sort of learn about him by playing with the people that he played with and, uh, you know, in Europe and UK and other places and, and just getting to hear these funny stories about how just effervescent and funny he was and how much he loved wine and cheese and how much he loved flirting and wearing these beautiful satin shirts. And he was just such an sort of effervescent person. But also I learned a lot about just making decisions about your own sound through him because he had a very interesting way of playing. He almost always played with a small mute, uh, which is how he got that like, really sweet tone. And um, he also played with a bow hair that was pretty loose, uh, looser than probably most classical players would, you, would use. So kind of just understanding his style and a lot of other people's styles, um, you know, other pianists, singers, just different people, um, I just really gained a respect for the way that he kind of made his own sound, uh, kind of a really unique sound that other people, uh, you know, didn't have. And he's very recognizable when you hear him on a recording. You can like drop a needle and you could always instinctively like know that that is his sound, which That's is right. great. Um, what are some of your favorite tunes from Stefan Grappelli? I mean, you, you talk to him as a, as you talk to him or you talk about him. Sorry. That, see, this is why we edit. <laughs> That's no problem. You, I wish um, I could talk to him, but he died in 1997 and I didn't know about him yet. Right. Well, I'll completely edit this out. So like the violent that's podcast fine. listeners won't even do that, but they won't even that's, listen to it. But that's fine. what were some, <laughs> what were some of the Stefan Grappelli tunes that like really stuck out to you? You know, you listened to him, but like, was there like a specific mm -hmm. tune where you were like, oh, that is what I want to do? Yes. So um, everybody that knows Stefan generally gravitates toward his earlier years with Django Reinhardt and the quintet of the Hot Club of France, what we call hot club music, which is sort of gypsy jazz, sort of basically one of the first uh, very famous all string bands in the world. 
And, um, you know, that, that definitely changed the world. And, uh, you know, you can't deny Django was one of the greatest musicians of all time. However, my favorite Stefan Grappelli recordings come much later in his life when he worked with the jazz pianist Oscar Peterson. Um, I think that sort of takes on a bluesier sound. It's nice to hear Stefan with piano. I think that's very unique and with drums rather than sort of with more of an American style band rather than just with always, you know, one or two guitars and a bass player, which is also amazing. Don't get me wrong. People who love the Django years, please don't get mad at me. But um, I do think the, the later years, you know, when he was quite a bit older, he, he worked with a number of different pianists. Um, and I think those recordings are especially amazing. And I'll say one, it's, I think it's called Jazz in Paris. There was a series of recordings he did with Oscar Peterson, Stefan Grappelli with Oscar Peterson. And um, they have some different names, but that one um, is quite amazing. Yeah, I think it's called Jazz in Paris. And uh, the way they play together is just, I think it's, it, that's the best it can get. That's what I think. <laughs> That's the pinnacle. Have you ever felt that 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 um, that like that that you're really vibing with someone on stage? Like, was there like a performance that was like so memorable where you're like, "Wow, this is really going well," and you're like you're <laughs> you're playing, you know, as like you know, like sure. very very few times do musicians be like, "Oh my gosh, like this is actually going well." A lot of us are like. I I don't know. For me, sometimes there's always something to improve on. But then there's like that one moment like once every once every decade i'd say we're like okay you know what this actually is working this works well the sound is going well has there ever been like a performance in recent memory or in your entire life where you felt like this is really going well like it, the musicians around me are vibing absolutely i i would say i probably feel that maybe once during most of the shows i do i don't feel it the whole time of course yeah, it's like a split of a second kind of thing. <laughs> but it's... yeah, I, I try to get there in every performance if I can. And sometimes I can't. But I would say most of the time I can have a moment where I really feel like I'm experiencing something, you know, greater than, um, you know, just it's it's great. But I think also that might I don't want to say it's easier because I've never played classical music really professionally. Not really. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, we did a lot of that, but it wasn't really professional. So I, I can't say I can really compare, but there's something about playing with jazz musicians, especially really good ones, people who you love to be around and you don't have to talk. You don't have to count anything off. You just go and it's like everybody in the audience is crying and you're like, okay, good. We got somewhere. Um, I think it's maybe a little easier for a jazz musician to sort of click in that way because we can do whatever we want, you know. Uh, we can change, we can do whatever we want. Obviously, if you're going to play, you know, A Flower is a Lovesome Thing by Duke Ellington, you know, play the melody. <laughs> Don't screw up the melody, you know. But if it's not working, you know, morph into something else or change the key, change the tempo. Uh, you know, somebody starts singing, bring up a tap dancer. I don't know, something happens. Well, maybe not a tap dancer on that song, but you know what I mean. Because we can basically, within reason, within artistic reason, we can do whatever we want. I feel that a lot of times when things are not working, you know, like, for example, I'll just give you an example. If I'm on stage with maybe a bass player, I don't know that well. Maybe I want to play something a little more up, a little fast. 
Maybe the bass player isn't that used to doing this walking. Maybe they're not used to that. So maybe they play you know, a little slower. So let's say I, I, I feel the tempo is dragging a little, which is not good. You don't want things to be slowing down, especially when you're playing hot jazz. Actually, it's better if it's going to rush. If it has to slow down or speed up, you want it to rush. Anyway. Every classical musician that just heard you're like, eh. right. <laughs> I do tend to rush because I'm a violinist. I'll say it. It's true. It's but yeah, fa so it's fact of life. That's something that we always work yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. So so let's imagine I'm on stage. The bass player is dragging. I'm feeling like this is not, you know, this is maybe not the greatest way to feature this person. That's fine. Wrap up that song and then maybe I'll call another one that's like slower or we could go into halftime, you know. We could go into halftime and, and, and then maybe that person would really thrive that way. So it's like we can kind of adjust in the moment um, more than a classical musician. It's like if you're playing the Chaconne or well, I guess that's by yourself. But if you're playing some quartet, whatever, and it's like, well, you got to get to the end of it. Like, that's it. You, I mean, so I feel that I, I, I'm like fortunate, maybe. Um, uh oh, I'm getting a phone call. Please decline. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Um, anyway, yeah, I feel a little bit fortunate that I get to make those sort of adjustments. For me, those are also moments where, where if you forget your performance, you know it went well. You know, yes. it's one of those things where or you're it like, was I like, so bad. <laughs> Just <kidding>. no, <laughs> no, that's when like the entire <laughs> like the entire audience gave you that weird look at the end, like eh, maybe I think she should. <laughs> Maybe I've gotten those looks. It's okay. You know, you have to, you have to experiment. And I always say the worst, most, uh, you know, intractable, completely disgusting, total creative failure always beats the hell out of not trying because then at least, you know, you know, your limit, you had the guts to do it. You probably learned a lot along the way you humiliated yourself. That makes you a better performer. The more you can humiliate yourself the more that you just even in public, you know, just the, not saying that you should run around and humiliate yourself all day, but I do try to do things in my daily life that are uncomfortable for me, just because I'm trying to um, feel, feel comfortable, maybe um, just be, be more comfortable with, with unknown scenarios and with like the judgment of other people. And just to get outside of that and just say, whatever, I really could care less. I highly recommend that for performers. It's like getting comfortable with getting really uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just getting into situations where people laugh at you or where they don't know what you're doing or they're talking about you and you can hear them whispering, you know, like maybe you wear something strange and a strange outfit in public or, you know, public performances. Like, you know, you just walk into a restaurant, start playing your violin, like just see what happens. Screw it. I mean, who cares? Who cares, really? Uh, you know, that will really free you up very quickly. Yeah. And um, I would love for you to speak a bit more about that when you're in your creative routine, right? I'm sh do you compose mm -hmm. music at all or do yeah. you arrange music? Yeah. So can you talk yeah. to us about the, the creative process of jazz and how you go from point A to point B when you're writing stuff for recordings and albums? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like most of the stuff that I've written for myself um, is, you know, jazz type stuff. Like, I think if you heard some of my music mixed in with some other things that I didn't write, you might not necessarily know. But yeah, I mean, I've, and I, I've arranged music for, you know, a number of my records and I've helped arrange music for other people. But I'm saying arrange not in a sort of film scoring 
pass out everyone a, a not chart a filming thing. cinematic <clears throat> score yeah yeah it's more like you kind of talk about it briefly you sort of agree well god there's so many different ways to do it this is the thing about jazz is like one way does not always work for everyone in general i would say for most situations you the leader who's usually me but could be somebody else it's fine whoever band it is or whoever the md which is the musical director who's in charge of making the musical decisions maybe it's like not the singer the singer wants to focus on singing so you have somebody in the back line rhythm section you can just talk through the arrangement usually and people remember it and basically what that means is like who's going to do the intro who's got the first solo who's got the second solo what's the outro is it a vamp meaning you stay with a certain chord. You stay there for wow, and you're like in that. You know what I mean? See, just uh, you by singing, I could never do that. Like that was so much groove. Like I, that's like the most groove I could. I, I can't outgroove that. That's okay. That's so nice of you, but you, you, you could do it. But anyway, so, so usually you, you talk down a chart. But actually, I don't like to do that, um, especially with people that I know well, because we can just work it out and. A lot of magic can happen when you don't talk it through, that people just feel it out with each other and you can do things, you can trade in your solo. So basically there's a solo section happening and maybe I'm splitting it with a clarinet player and we go back and forth and it wasn't planned, but it's like so much fun. And if you plan it out, you're kind of closing the door to the magic of the moment personally. Like when I think people, when we, when we plan out everything for a jazz record or for you know a performance I don't really feel like we're becoming more secure I just feel like we're closing the door on magical things happening and then of course you don't want to go against what you all agreed on and throw someone a wrench unless you're so creative I mean if you're like <laughs> I I have a feeling I haven't played with Stevie Wonder or someone like that but I, I have a feeling that like <laughs> he would maybe agree on something and then change it during the show just to see what happens. Um, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, basically most groups, like whether they're starting out or they're very, very advanced, like that are doing any improvising, even like probably, you know, like John Mayer or like a sort of pop group that uses improvisation in the show. Cause like John and other people do solos, they probably just talk it down. And then I would say probably every once in a while, certain people have an impulse, like a creative impulse, and then that gets thrown in. And then if you're playing with good people that know how to listen and they aren't reading a chart, so they're completely unaware of what's going on around them, they're watching, then something really interesting can happen. It's usually not planned. Yeah, I like how you say spare the moment. Like it could be, it could be like this one glimpse of a, of a moment where you're like, okay, let's just do it. And um, one one of those moments when I was in, um, I was at a jazz club in Smalls um, in New York. Oh yeah, great place. Yeah, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, and we were um, um, we were we were attending this jazz club, and there was I forget the tune that they were playing, but it was they were doing free jazz, it was saxophone, uh, bass, guitar, and drums, I believe. Yeah, <clears throat> and then upright bass. And there was a mm-hmm. moment where, you know, the saxophone's like, okay, let's just do free jazz. And then all of a sudden they're just like <laughs> doing their own thing, which was crazy. And then all of a sudden, like there was this cloud of sound and then they went back into into the groove of the tune. And I find that to be really special because everybody's kind of like reading the room, like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What are we doing? But this is kind of yeah. cool because we're all on edge. 
and then all of a sudden everybody gets a good look and then then they start yeah. transitioning back which i think is really cool about jazz um yeah i wonder if they were keeping the form during that cloud of sound which i love that description i wonder if they were keeping the form alive during that or if they actually departed from the form completely and basically said you know time out we're going over here and then and then we're going to go back to the form the form meaning you know if it's like a you know a jazz standard that's usually aaba you know sure. like a 32 bar song or if it's a blues it's going to be usually 12 bars so basically you know there's a way to i don't do a lot of free jazz i'll just say that i love swing too much but um i have done some sort of free stuff but it's not really my forte but it's it's interesting because sometimes people can keep the form and they go so far away from it that you almost forget the song was even happening and then sometimes the the form just totally goes away and then you're you then you go into a totally different space and um that also takes a different type of you know awareness right because now you're creating something that's basically formless right there is no melody to go off of right it you are the the music that's it <laughs> it so seemed to me though it seemed unique. to me that it was like what you said like they they had a form and then they took a detour and then they did their own thing and then they went back cool. into the thing that was that was my impression of it although maybe there could have been a form that they all secretly had that i was completely unaware of but from the yeah. new listener but it, it, it could have it could have been both i don't know with things like that, like you can usually hear or see that there's either like a visual cue. Someone will look at someone. Uh, sometimes it's the drummer, just depends on who it is. And then also there can be musical cues. So if the drummer or the bass player plays a certain lick, everybody, their ears perk up and they say, oh, now we're going here. So usually there is some kind of a signpost for that, but I think it really depends on the group and yeah your question about endings before like it is funny sometimes like if you're playing with people that you don't necessarily know very well which happens all the time you can you can tag an ending and basically when you tag it it basically means that you're kind of circling around this like one six two five three six two five thing i can play it for you if you want i have my violin here but basically that can become a never-ending vortex <laughs> and you know, people need to take charge. So like when you play jazz, I think a lot of classical people just think like no one's in charge and you just say a prayer, but like, no, someone is in charge. Very, most of the time someone is in charge and that's how you prevent yourself from, you know, getting into these weird situations where the music just doesn't have any more direction, you know, cause jazz needs to have a direction. It also has a beginning, middle and an end. We hope right yeah. yeah it may not be as clear but I, I like how you said that there is a there's a there's a clear leader that will yeah. help guide the entire group um when when, yeah. you're, when you're playing with other musicians what do you play with like four people five people what's what's like the minimum i mean obviously a duo is the minimum but like what was the what was the most amount of people that you played on stage with that you try to communicate with that um, well, I mean, I've played by myself a lot. I mean, obviously, it's not really jazz when you're playing by yourself, but I used to play um, at Children's Hospital here in LA, you know, just for patients there. And that was totally by myself. So, but that wasn't as much jazz. Um, but I do play by myself. I would say for sure duo. I mean, duets with piano, duets with guitar, duets with bass. Those are all great. Um, if it's going to be more of like a hot club thing, obviously you want at least one guitar and probably bass player. And then um, maybe a special guest, like it's great to have clarinet in that situation or trumpet. Um, and then 
um, my favorite uh, sort of configuration is uh, piano, bass, drums, guitar, and myself, because I feel that you can do a lot of different combinations of things. People don't usually hear violin with like uh, piano and drums as much. They usually hear violin in jazz, I mean, with guitar and bass. But then you also have that because you have piano, bass, guitar, drums, and me. And then also it's nice because I sometimes like to sing, you know, I'll sing a song sometimes or, you know, again, I love to have special guests just to lighten it up and, and just keep it interesting. But yeah, the most people I've ever worked with on stage. That's interesting. Because my guess is it's not like it's not like big band, right? And it can't be like that many people. I have I mean, been on stage with big bands and I've been on stage with like, you know, like a jazz orchestra where it's like the orchestra has parts and they're playing like string parts and then the sure. soloists up front are soloing, but you're not really communicating with them. That's really the job of the, the conductor. Um, I would say in a jazz context, probably like eight or nine people, maybe. Um, like in a jazz club, eight or nine. Yeah, something like that. That would probably be the most that I've had to like, where there's not a prescribed thing going on. And it's like, you know, we're not just all, you know, off on our own ideas. Like we have to be cohesive and we have to swing and people paid money to see what we were going to do. So it's like, okay, don't screw up the music. Don't mess it up. <laughs> Like they're, ex yeah. they're expecting Stefan Grappelli tunes. We cannot give them something else. But yeah, just, you know, people just want to feel something just like in all music. Like, I mean, music is so universal. Like I truly, I think I would really have a hard time if I had to play, you know, Bach alone at the Hollywood Bowl or something. I would probably really fail at that. But I do think that all music has this thing in common where it's like the audience just wants to be uplifted or they want to have some kind of an emotional you know catharsis happen whether it's you know heavy metal or it's country music or it's an opera like whatever like the audience needs you that's why they're there they need you and they need you to please find a way to transcend your problems in your life in your little piddly life so that you can give them something that is you know that is unique and that is special, something that hopefully they'll remember for a long time. So I think that's something that's universal. It's like people just coming together and saying, okay, I'm a human being. My life is not perfect, but in this one moment, I'm going to try to give somebody something really special. I've always struggled with musicians saying that music is a universal language, but I do agree with you that the feeling mm -hmm. of an audience needing the musicians on stage is universal. Why, why do you why do you think music is not a universal language? For instance, like <clears throat> music for me, it's like, you know, like different languages. You have to study different languages to understand different languages. And for me, like if you're going to know about if you're going to go into a jazz club, you kind of I don't know. For me personally, I'm only speaking for myself. I would like to know a little bit about what I'm about to listen to, what I'm about yeah. to watch. I Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't think that that quote is about. I don't think it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. When you compare it to actual speaking, it doesn't really work. I think what it means to me is that no matter what background you have, language, age you are, all different kinds of music has the potential to touch that person in a deep and profound way. Like you could bring somebody from South America who is used to hearing bossa novas and whatever. And I bet you could bring them to an opera. Maybe they've never seen an opera. And they would be touched, even if they couldn't understand a word. 
You know what I'm saying? Sure. Then maybe maybe this podcast will determine. Maybe we should just make coin the the quote: "Music is a universal feeling, not a language," because language would imply、yeah. something different. I, I agree. Yeah, I do think it's more about the feeling because not everybody can speak these languages. I think it's more about everyone being able to enjoy these languages, like music, being able to bring people together, you know, in ways that other things cannot. And also, I think like you never know what someone is going to connect with or enjoy until they hear it, until they try it. And I know all these algorithms on Spotify and everything like they think they've cracked our taste, but like. They know what I listen to. That's true, but they don't know what I'm missing in my life. They, that's an unknowable question. They don't know something that's unexpected that might be the next Stephen Capelli for me. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't know what that could be. It could come from any part of the world. It could be any genre. So there's like that unknowable question of like what could touch this person, what could uplift this person, and. You just you just never know. So you just gotta keep playing for people. That's yeah.、It. An algorithm can't predict that, and if they do, then that's right. That's really weird. <laughs> But yeah, they can of- only they can only suggest stuff that's based on stuff that you already have experienced. Yeah. But they can't predict what you want to、that's、experience.、Right. That's right. That's right. Just crack the code. Okay.、Um, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That is the end of the podcast.、Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs>、um, speaking of speaking of needing you, you talked about how the the audience needs musicians on stage, and obviously、yes. we've had a very difficult 18 months、uh, because of COVID. I mean, things are opening、yep. up, and、um, let's hope they stay open. Let's、yes. let's make sure that they don't that they don't go back down into closing different <laughs> bars and.、Yes. And you know, music jobs and whatnot. But、sure. can, you, can you briefly talk about、um, your experience during this,、uh, during the lockdowns, and you know, as we, you know, get back into the swing of things full time? Yeah. Well, basically, the whole time, you know, I, of course, had no idea how long it would last, but I knew that I didn't want to emerge worse than I was before. So I just said, "God help me! I have no idea when." Things are going to come back. Probably, it's going to be a slow, bizarre roller coaster of a process, which it has been.、Uh, you know, it's not like getting into the pandemic, like boom, shut down, and then when it's done, hey, lights on. It's not like that. You know, it's very complicated. So I basically just, you know, made a promise to myself pretty early. I was like, okay, well, however long this lasts, I am going to be better at as many things as I can be, as I can do. Um, as possible, and so I practiced voice a lot. I practiced piano. I got much better at piano. Mostly, I played jazz piano, but I mean, I'm not really, you know, a professional or anything. But I do write music on piano, so I got better at that. Much better. I practiced a lot of violin. You know, I practiced a lot of stuff that I had never done before. I do feel like, even though I haven't really been, I have performed a little in the past, you know, few months, but but really not a lot. But I do I, want to I compliment feel... you on.、Oh, but I do、yeah. want to compliment you because you are actually very, very active in the violin guild during the、um, during the pandemic. At least for me, I, I kept seeing、yeah. all your your posts and like you kept. I would try to put a kept... video maybe once a week if I could, you know, something like that. Right. Yeah, I thought that was really awesome. I mean, it definitely. I. I. That's how I know of you, right? And、oh, cool. That's why I wanted you on the violin podcast is because I saw your videos in the violin guild, and I go, "Wow, she's like, you know, she's just playing some swing. She's smiling. She's enjoying." And I love that. That that was <laughs> that was you know the the little spark of joy that I I needed while yeah my newsfeed. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, there are people on my newsfeed that do that for me. 
you know, there's this girl, Ashley Pizzotti, who's an amazing singer. And every time she puts up a video, I'm, I'm so, I feel like this, you know, rainbow in my life. And so we're all doing that for each other. You know, we're all doing that for each other. And I think it's important to show up and, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not fun really for me to be playing violin like myself by myself, or like with a backing track, you know, all the time, like it's not my favorite thing. Obviously, I much rather be collaborating with my friends, which I did also end up doing some during the pandemic. But yeah, I just I just didn't want to I just didn't want to be rusty, like just knowing I don't know who's going to call me, you know, this universe is abundant. Who knows what's going to happen? I just didn't want to like, you know, have somebody say, hey, do you want to do a show in Paris or do you want to do a show you know, wherever. And then for me to be like, oh, well, I'm out of shape. I just didn't want that. So I just tried to use the time, you know, wisely. And I, I feel like I did, honestly. I, I, you know, it's pandemic, so you're not really ever going to be satisfied. But in terms of practicing, I feel happy about that. And I did get invited to record on some stuff. So I just recorded here from my place in West Hollywood. I was able to do some like remote stuff. And I did a few master classes, which was fun, like on Zoom like this, like just invite some people to a room and they would just ask me questions and I'd just play some stuff. And that was really fun. Um, but yeah, you just got to find a way. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You got to find a way. I felt the same during the pandemic where I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do now. I mean, I, I do a lot of teaching of course, but, um, uh -huh, uh -huh. but I do my practicing while I teach. And now all of a sudden I'm in front of a computer yep. screen and then I have to explain and I have to do a lot of typing for the parents to understand what the homework is. And I'm actually not, I wasn't demonstrating as much in the beginning because I tried to use my words because I didn't, the, the sound quality wasn't so good over Zoom. So I had to use a lot of my words. So I felt like um, I, I resonate with you that I wanted to be better when we come out of this for sure. Um, better as a, yeah. as a person, better in my, in the way I deliver the message of you know talking to you know awesome people like you on the violin podcast or delivering a really um, important message to my students you know i just want to be a better communicator that's the thing yeah. that i got out of this that i'm continuing to get out of this process hopefully when things really really do open up then it'll just be it'll be you know you can put all of that knowledge and wisdom to the test then on stage or or whatever wherever it is but because you yeah, have a story just, to tell, yeah. right? You, you, you yeah. have an experience, you have a story to tell. And then, like you said, people are craving for, for one, they're, they're craving that for that community to be amongst people and to listen to amazing music, but also to be able to hear what you have to say on stage. I think that's what's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, genuine human exchange, something my friend John Baptiste, this pianist who's... Um people might recognize from Stephen Colbert's show. They, they might, they might, they might recognize him. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. He's like super I mean, famous. Super okay. Famous. Well, I've known him for almost 15 years and for a, a long time in the beginning, people didn't know him. So whatever, John is a good friend of mine. I've just performed with him a couple nights ago and really he's always cool. talking about, thank you. He's always talking about the idea of genuine human exchange and that people need, people need, something more like I love talking with you right now but people need more than this I think we can both agree that life through you know a little square is not the full experience and you know it's great it's great for us to share videos it's great for us to help other people but there is more to life than that and I think we are kind of all realizing how much we really need each other and how much we really care to experience what other people want to share like I I do really 
love going to see my friends perform and other people perform because I just want to see what they're going to do. Good, bad, ugly, fast, slow, loud, soft, you know, ballet, tap dance, burlesque, stripping, whatever it is, I just want to experience it because it's what they're giving to me. And I think that, you know, we just realize now in that this time that we need that, you know, we really, really need that. You mentioned a little bit about practicing and I, and mm -hmm. every, every single episode I ask my guests how they practice and what do they practice specifically. So, mm -hmm. um, for, for jazz, for jazz musicians such as yourself, how do you approach practicing and how, how do you begin and how do you end? Like, what's your process with that? I mean, basically every, I try to practice every day. I definitely don't, but I, I try to practice every day. And, um, a big component of that is listening. I listen to lots of different records because it really helps, um, just for me to like journal about tone and journal about specific things I like in other people's recordings. Um, so that's one thing I do, but I would say in a general practice day, I, I just like to make like one, one goal for, for a day, you know, um, sometimes it's learning a new standard. Sometimes just, I practice my scales every time I practice for sure. Like slow scales. I would say probably like most of my practicing sounds a lot like a classical musicians because I really care a lot about my tone and my technique. And people think that playing jazz is, you know, like a joke, but you know, and a lot of violinists have, you know, to be honest, made some pretty interesting remarks to me about that. But actually though, like some of these melodies are, they're very difficult to play. You have to be ready to change key at any time. You know, you have to, as a violinist, you're, you know, you're not with a bunch of strings. You're competing with the world's greatest saxophonist, the world's greatest trumpet player, the world's greatest pianist. It's like, you need to find a way to play jazz on a violin that resonates with people, you know, to bring them into that swing consciousness. And that requires a lot of technique. So the scales really help me. I love practicing classical music just for my technique, even though I'll probably never perform it. I practice um you know those Bach uh partitas and things like that and other other exercises like a lot of jazz type exercises which is like seventh chords arpeggios things like that just to keep my left hand like you know in shape and then I would say the other thing I practice that I do pretty often is I'll just record myself playing one of the songs that I'm going to record or perform sometime soon or just something new I've learned and I just want to really listen to it and see if what I think is happening is happening. Like I'm trying to hear, is this expressive enough? Should I change the tone here? Just really listening to myself. I don't really practice soloing that much. The only time I would practice really soloing, like usually just with a metronome, just put on a metronome on two and four, um, always two and four. Um, and um and just solo is like if I'm trying to do something faster or if I'm trying to change the key, like if I, I know a song, but I want to change the key and see if I can get through the changes, the chord changes in that key. But I don't do that as much anymore. For me, it's mostly about technique. Uh, Nora, it's been such an amazing conversation to have. With yeah, you. this was fun. This I was... could totally do this again. Really? Okay, <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep your word on that. I hope that when I'm in uh, my, my hope is that we can um go beyond this two-dimensional thing that we're doing right now and actually yeah. i would love to do interviews like in person you oh my know? god i, I think, would love that see like i'm that's what that's something that i'm craving because like yeah this 2d thing like in front of a computer screen is like really really um you know it's convenient right now because you're, you're in la yes. i'm in massachusetts yes. we're like on opposite side of the country and we're yes. still doing this really cool conversation but my that's one of my goals with the violin podcast is that actually like 
go to people's cities, see what they're doing, do an interview yeah. with them and just like hang out. That's like one of my dreams. Yeah, you could people, do like right? a little mini vlog. You could be like a day in the life with Nora Germain, a day in the life with Itzhak Perlman. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep you to that because you never know. One day I'll sure. <laughs> one day I'll be like, hey, I'm in West Hollywood. You want to get Pink's hot dogs and just hang out, you know? And I will say yes, absolutely. Yes. And I I'll, I'll really appreciate that. Um, But for everyone who is dying to know where they can find your content, can you give us the your, your social links and um, where they can find you? Yeah, well, my website is just norajermain.com. So that has links to everything. I have an Instagram at Nora underscore Germain. And then if you just search on Spotify, Apple Music, Nora Germain, my recordings are there. So yeah. Thanks so much, Nora. And for Thank those you. of you who really enjoyed this conversation, please like and subscribe to the Violin Podcast. It really helps us, it helps us a lot to provide more content for you and also leave a comment leave a review on apple Podcasts because that's what keeps us going to hear from the audience so if you're listening on apple uh podcast please make sure to leave a review we'd love to know what your thoughts and oh, yeah. uh, and, and if, concerns if anybody, and questions yeah if anybody has questions for the comments I, I i can try to answer some in your comments so for sure feel free to leave those yeah absolutely thanks so much nora thank you